Hello. Hello, Laurent Dubois. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well. This is Dom Flemings, the American songster. I was wondering if you wanted to be on my podcast. Oh, that would be fabulous. I'd love to come down and, and talk a while. Oh, great. Well, come on down to the studio. All right. I'll see you there. Hi, everybody. You're listening to American Songster Radio. I'm Dom Flemons. Today on the show, I speak with Laurent Dubois, a professor of romance studies at Duke University. In 2016, Laurent published The Banjo, America's African Instrument, a book that searches out the banjo's cultural origins across the Atlantic world. We'll talk about what the banjo meant to people in its early incarnations and the unexpected places the instrument continues to crop up today. People from all over the parts of Africa were thrown together in this brutal plantation system, right? Very diff- under incredibly difficult circumstances and had to create both music and an instrument that could put people together who were actually very different from each other. I close out the show with a rendition of a banjo tune I learned from South African musician Hannes Kotsie. And funny enough, it was featured on a car commercial recently, a song called Mahala. This is American Songster Radio. I'm Dom Flemons. Well, hey, Laurent. Pleasure to see you. Great to be here today, Dom. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, you know, we met in 2005 at the first black banjo gathering in Appalachian State University. On my end, uh, I met a, uh, another singer by the name of Renan Giddens, and then later I met Justin Robinson, and we started a group called the Carolina Chocolate Drops, because at the gathering, we had met a wonderful musician by the name of Joe Thompson from Mebane, North Carolina. He was 85 years old at that time, and he was a tradition bearer for North Carolina Piedmont string band music from the African-American community, which at that time, I guess people knew that the banjo uh, had a a black and African root to it in some sort of way sometimes, but it was still kind of new scholarship. Can you uh, tell folks a little bit about your experience going into the Black Banjo Gathering? Yeah, that was an important gathering, I mean, especially because it created the Carolina Chocolate Drops, but also for me it was a pretty uh, important moment. I had come down there with an interest in the banjo um, as someone who was starting to play, and I've I've studied Caribbean and African-American history, Um, but it was only there that I really started to understand the breadth of the story in part because, as you remember, there was t- uh, talk there about this Haitian instrument that had been collected in Haiti um, and kind of recently rediscovered. Um, that's one of the ways that we can reconstruct that history. So I, I kind of realized then that as somebody who knew a lot about uh, Caribbean history, had written about it before, I could maybe join in this conversation. And that was the beginning of, of the process that led to the book last year. Now, just tell me a little bit about the instrument because there's some fascinating uh, material that mm-hmm. tells a lot about the development of this instrument that has spanned so many generations and taken so many forms. One of the things I insist from the beginning is that at the end of the day, this the banjo, if you have to define it, the core of it is that it's a skin with strings over it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you play it, the, the skin hums and the strings hum together. And that's a kind of powerful sonic and almost emotional experience. I like that you take a very holistic approach to it. Instead of just the nuts and bolts of they had three strings, they had four strings, and five Mm -hmm. strings, and six, and then they went back to four, and 
they picked it with their fingers upward and, you know, you know, did a claw hammer and all that stuff. You kind of take a more holistic approach to the sense of community. Can you kind of discuss that? Because I think it's just brilliant how you went about it. Well, thank you. And it's actually something I see a lot in your music, too, right, that you bring out all these different sounds the banjo makes. Um, and so I try to think about why and how this instrument has brought so many communities together in so many different ways, even though the instruments changed in form, went from being built with gourds in the early era um, to now wooden frames and a lot more metal. So it's gotten it's changed a lot over the last few hundred years. But that core thing about being, you know, what you might call a drum on a stick or having that drum and the strings together is has always been at the heart of it. And I think is one of the reasons why it's it's continued to be such a powerful instrument for people. Absolutely. Well, that was one of the things that drew me in. I started out playing the drums in uh, high school. I played snare drum and uh, bass drum. I was in the marching band, so I was on the four-line bass mm-hmm. drum. So I had a sense of uh, not just rhythm, but polyrhythm. And I always loved that about the banjo. It was almost like playing a snare drum that I could play chords on. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, something I found out uh, really quickly. Wasn't isn't a way that most banjo players, especially with old-time banjo players, tend to play. They tend to learn tunes right. and then uh, they work the chords in later. Or you're a jazz guy where you understand the whole uh, all the passing chords and all the different ways that melodies can be played. Uh, what did you see in the the iconography of the banjo that uh, reminded you of what you had already studied in Caribbean mm-hmm. stuff? I mean, one thing is that I'd actually played percussion in a salsa band. Oh, before, nice. And I'd also played guitar for a long time. So I had a similar experience where when I started using the right hand on the banjo, it felt like actually playing on a conga in a certain mm-hmm. way, right? This kind yeah, of drum. Yeah. Um, and again, I know you, you played some, some similar way where the right hand really does a lot of, of, of rhythmic work. Um, for me, the iconography is really interesting because um, one of the things I try to trace out is that this instrument had a lot of ritual significance. Um, it was connected to kind of Afro-Atlantic religion and specifically connected to trying to kind of connect to Africa and to kind of, you know, to, to traditions that were on the other side of the waters, let's say, uh, for people who are enslaved here. Um, and you can see that in the music, but you can also literally see it in some of the instruments and there's forms of crosses and there's, um, you know, various inscriptions on the instruments that I write about in the book. Um, where you can really see that very clearly. Like uh, one of the things that really intrigued me was the idea of the three leaves. Could you explain that just a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of um, what you saw visually and how it's still used in the culture today? Mm-hmm. So this banjo, again, that this abanza that was uh, that was talked about for the first time at the at the gathering in that we were both at. Um, is an instrument that was basically lost until 1997 when it was kind of rediscovered in France. Um, it's It looks like a banjo. If someone sees it, it looks like a kind of early banjo made with a gourd. And on the face of it, it has this little sort of engraving on the neck. Um, and the engraving, if you look at it, it, kind of looks like a mask of some kind. It has two little eyes, but then it has these three, three what look like three leaves. I, mm-hmm. I eventually realized, I say this as if I knew it at the time. It took me some time to figure it out. Um, but I was... I was determined to kind of find, to be able to write the history of the instrument in Haiti. So I looked through all the historical sources, uh, many different ways, and I did find the name of a musician who was an enslaved man who played banjo in in, in, in 18th century Saint-Domingue, whose name was Three Leaves, right, his oh. stage name. And when I discovered that, kind of rang in a really strong bell because there's a song in Haitian Bodu called Three Leaves in kind of Haitian folklore. It's a very important song. So suddenly I realized that there was this symbol in the song, in a name, and on the banjo itself, and I kind of could read that together and make, a, make an argument about why that was. The Three Leaves song, what is it saying? What is it signifying? Since it's not in English, like mm-hmm. what... What uh? What's the basic message behind it? Right. I mean, so the basic core of it goes like trois feuilles, trois racines, right? Which is three leaves, three roots. Um, mm. and then they say, j'ai oublié, 
ramasser songer, which means if I throw them down, I'll forget. And if I gather them together, I'll remember. Right? Wow. And so basically the core of it is, you know, it's, it's about leaves as a healing, but also leaves as a symbol. Um, and the whole thing is about remembering is a way of staying alive, healing, those sorts of things, right? Wow. And so for me, it's layered, and in, in the tradition itself, it's layered with a lot of symbolism about the need to, you know, to maintain the kind of African and African-Caribbean traditions in the face of all kinds of hostility, of course. Um, and I see that very powerfully, like sort of the banjo is also this measure of how, how strongly the music has survived, the instrument has survived, again, and against a lot, of, uh, a lot of forces that might have wanted to destroy it. Wow, isn't that, isn't that something? Now we got this idea of a, a kind of a communal instrument that helps bring people together. Just to go back to your book, you made a really wonderful uh, transition over into uh, Heat, Seeger, and kind mm -hmm. of the way he worked with community organizing. What sort of things did you feel that Pete was giving that, that connected these two worlds? Yeah, I sort of end the book really reading Pete Seeger, and I, I kind of say, you know, Pete Seeger kind of relaunched the banjo in a certain way. Also, though, the banjo, I think, made Pete Seeger who he was, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that this encounter between that that individual and that instrument created, in a sense, this whole new context for folk music and the revival. And of course, that itself was linked to, to connecting to earlier traditions. But he had a particular gift, I think, of being able to bring together a lot of those traditions, just animate through performance um, what people were seeking out of that instrument. But I also really think that, that when people saw that banjo, which at the time in the 50s had been a little bit lost or wasn't as familiar as it was, um, in fact, he, he was able to pick up early banjos in pawn shops because at the time people, you know, the banjo had, had lost, their, <laughs> a lot of people had lost interest in it. Um, some very nice banjos being sold. So he, um, he kind of relaunched a sort of sense in, in what this instrument was um, and played so many different styles on it that I think, mm. and also, you know, wrote a book that helped to teach a lot of people how to play it. Um, so in that sense, but of course that was really tied also to his activism, you know, that mm. he understood he was involved in the civil rights movement. He was obviously very active. Um, and so for him, song was, was politics always, you know. Absolutely. Do you feel like there's one story that you wish you could have elaborated on a little bit more? It's interesting. I mean, two things. One, I, I was constantly realizing the connection between the music and dance. Mm. Um, and in fact, now, like, actually, some of my new projects are m more focusing on dance because I always felt like it's sort of incomplete to, to not, you always have to think of those two together in a certain way. Um, but it's also true that I found all these intriguing tidbits, notably like about the history of the banjo returning to Africa in some mm -hmm. sense. And there's all kinds of places, notably South Africa, East Africa, North Africa, where musicians in the 20th century take this instrument, which is in some ways they had first offered to the world, you know, a few hundred yeah. years earlier, that's been reconfigured and sort of this like story of the homecoming of the instrument to, wow. to these different traditions, I think is really interesting, even as far back as so, so North African music, which is really at the very origins of, of so much of this music in Iberian music, mm -hmm. I mean, a millennia ago. Wow. And now banjo is sort of incorporated into some of that music. So I like to see that kind of process. And in each of those cases, there was like a whole story that I didn't end up being able to tell or just didn't know enough about, but I hope other people might. Yeah. yeah. Well, the banjo always seems like it's an international phenomenon, even to think of a, like another banjo player, Earl Scruggs, creating a style that, uh, you know, even outside of bluegrass has, has evolved into a style that can be in any type of music whatsoever. And that's, it's just really powerful. Like, is there, what do you, I mean, is it really just the skin and the strings, do you think, that makes it? I mean, because it's, it's, there's something that's so, like you said, emotional with the banjo. Is there, uh, is there any other things that you can think of that draw people to this mm -hmm. instrument so much? Because, of course, it's a, once you get the banjo bug, it's over, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's all over, yeah. Um, 
I mean, you know, and you might have ideas about this too, you know, who, who as someone who's drawn to it, but there's a bit of a metaphor. I kind of make, I guess, almost describe it as somewhat of a metaphysical argument, which is I basically try to say, look, who, who invented this instrument, right? Where was this in instrument created? This was invented in this very specific cultural context. People from all over the parts of Africa who were thrown together in this brutal plantation system, right? Mm -hmm. Very diff under incredibly difficult circumstances and had to create both music and an instrument that could put people together who were actually very different from each other because we say African. That didn't mean that much in the 18th century. Um, we're talking about people from Central Africa, West Africa, talking hundreds of different languages, right? Um, so what was the instrument and the music that could kind of c bring them together in a certain way? And also an instrument that could remind all of them of something they had lost, even though they had lost many different things, right? Um, so I think embedded in sort of the instrument and as a symbol, there's this kind of sense of like loss and recovery after giving a talk recently, um, I met somebody who talked about uh, sort of going through a particularly hard time and how she took up the banjo and started playing it and found this kind of healing process that went with it. And it's funny because sometimes when I play the banjo and you feel it kind of humming against you, it's this kind of like bodily experience. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, thinking, too, that Madison Smart Bell has this novel, uh, one of his little known novels about a Vietnam vet who comes home and kind of heals through picking up the banjo. Nice. Um, all of which is just to say I think this instrument really has a, has a lot of power. And I think when certainly when I... I hear you play, and when we a lot of people hear you play, you kind of feel that. So I'm hoping maybe you could take us out with a song and sure, share well, this instrument. Well, you know, this is one of the few tunes that I do that's not uh, from the United States. Actually, this is a song called Mahala. I actually saw this on YouTube of an of a fellow by the name of Hannes Kotsier from the Karoo region of uh, South Africa, mm -hmm. just outside of Johannesburg. And I saw a documentary about him, and it turned out that. See, when he played it originally, he plays it with the guitar and he has a little teaspoon in his mouth and he slides the melody I'm going to play for mm -hmm. you. And it's an amazing video. Um, and so I was seeing this documentary and he talked about fiddle and banjo music uh, during the formation of the Afrikaans nation. And so a whole mm -hmm. other creolization of European melodies with African melodies to create its own sort of dance music. And so I picked up on this tune and... Uh, kind of taking my cues from Pete, I decided to just adapt it to the banjo. This one's called Mahala, which I found out later means one for nothing. So for all the folklore fans out there, that's the name of the tune is one for nothing. So that just means the guy said, oh, whatever, let me play a tune for you. <laughs> let me play this one for you.
that's a beautiful song. And also the story you tell about that kind of those traditions coming back together. Um, I mean, I love that that idea that this kind of fiddle banjo music returned to South Africa and found its way into these other traditions. It's like keep this kind of recombinant thing where the music keeps circulating and, uh, and so forth. So Absolutely. Yeah. And the reverberations, it's just it's amazing to see it also kind of a just completely removed from sort of the uh, southern United States idea of the creolization. It's, it's interesting to see another mm-hmm. nation uh, go through a very similar process. And of course, these strong African traditions just found their way to be able to mix together to create something that's just a, yeah. it's almost a yeah. super music in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of African musicians sort of see and, and hear the banjo and they recognize something pretty deep that's connecting to it. So, Absolutely. Well, Laurent, it's just been a pleasure to have you on American Songster Radio. Thank you for sharing your knowledge of this fascinating part of the scholarship. I mean, it's all still just still so new. I mean, this is still, all this stuff is about just about a decade old, and um, I hope that folks will check out your book. And, of course, we'll meet along the way, uh, as always, keeping in touch. Yes, absolutely. So great to be here with you today. Thank you. American Songster Radio is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This episode was produced by David Brower, Joe O'Connell, and me, Dom Flemons, the American Songster. Check out the American Songster Radio page at wunc.org. Also, to learn more about Laurent Dubois' search into the roots of the banjo, go to musicalpassage.org. There are more episodes of this podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We've got episodes up there featuring conversations with Martin Simpson, Bill Ferris, and other artists and researchers with a passion for American vernacular music. If you like what you hear on American Songster Radio, subscribe, download, and tell a friend. Until next time, I'm Dom Flemons, the American Songster. <laughs>